0: You're listening to a Times Higher Education podcast.
1: Welcome to the Times Higher Education podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Custer, the editor of Campus. And with me again today is our content editor, Eliza Compton. Hello, Eliza. Hello, Sarah. Nice to have you on the episode again.
0: Thank you very much. I'm very happy to be here.
1: I am pleased as well because today we are embarking on a journey into a realm of the unknown, a world full of possibilities and creative opportunities, but not without risks and ethical quandaries. So come along with us as we explore the use of generative AI in higher education, teaching and research with three intrepid pioneers as our guides.
0: We're going to delve into the ways that ChatGPT has inspired one neurodiverse researcher to communicate better with colleagues She says that AI has enhanced the way that she works, and she gives some really useful tips on how to write good prompts.
1: Before we go on to that researcher, we'll first hear from two visionary educators who've inserted ChatGPT into their active teaching and feedback models. Jenny Rose at the University of Manchester and David Nickel at the University of Glasgow were already getting students to learn through inner feedback. But now with generative AI their method is even more effective at helping students learn and getting them ready to work in the real world. Embracing AI is not without its challenges though, especially when it comes to academic integrity. They tell me how they're thinking about honesty and plagiarism and what tips they've got for educators like you to start using AI in their courses today. So strap in and let's dive headfirst into AI and teaching. Well, what a treat that we have for this episode of the podcast. We have a two-for-one interview, which is not to be too reductive about what we're going to talk about today, but I'm so pleased, Jenny and David, to have you guys on to talk about practical applications of ChatGPT to higher education uh, teaching and learning and and so much more. So let's just dive right in. Jenny, tell us who you are and, and what you're doing.
2: Um, nice to be here today and it's really nice to be asked and to talk about this because it's really on everyone's lips at the moment. Um, so my name is Jenny Rose. I'm a senior lecturer at the University of Manchester within the Business School. And my teaching focuses on accounting and audit and professional skills. Um, I've been collaborating with David for about four years now on his theories on inner feedback, which enables students to write feedback for themselves. So they compare their work to information in different types of resources, including now ChatGPT. So it's been a really great gift to be able to use it in the classroom so students can write feedback for themselves using different kinds of resources. So a real time saver.
1: We'll get into loads of that in a minute. Uh, First, David, tell us who you are.
3: Okay, thank you for inviting me, Sarah. Uh, My name is David Nickel and I work in the Adam Smith Business School at the University of Glasgow uh, I'm a research professor there. I lead the, a teaching excellence initiative, and the main focus of this initiative which is very relevant today to today's talk or today's interview. is about, mm-hmm. It's on assessment and feedback, mm-hmm. uh, and particularly as uh, Jenny said, it's uh, I've been investigating a new way of looking at feedback that involves students generating their own feedback comments, rather than just receiving them from teachers,
2: mm-hmm. uh, and
3: this really plays to Uh, the new development of AI because, as Jenny said, it involves comparison processes. And uh, I see a lot of the AI tools as tools that generate information that students can use for comparison and generate their own feedback and develop their own critical thinking.
1: So you guys have both uh, mentioned ChatGPT as... um this tool that just kind of slots into what you're already doing to develop students' inner feedback. But tell me a little bit about just kind of general, how are you feeling about the arrival of ChatGPT and where where do you see the benefits and potential dangers of this technology lie? Jenny, do you want to begin?
2: Yeah, I think it is a bit scary because we're trying to scaffold students. And traditionally, we've been always trying to scaffold students into and um, thinking differently and express their thoughts in um, a chat GP style almost or in an essay. But I do think it's a really useful tool for the future, but it needs to be viewed in the same way as Wikipedia or in the business school. My students really like um, Investopedia. So as long as it's taken in that context, then I think it's a really useful tool. There's no need to be uh, worried about it. Um, It gives students really basic answers very quickly. So in class, you can have those discussions and explorations and critical thinking. And I'm a a real dialogue teacher, so that I'm always asking questions in class. And that means that students can find out things before class or have a a discussion with ChatGPT. And we can then, in class, develop those higher order skills that will keep our students ahead of the technology. But they do need three fundamental uh, reminders when using ChatGPT. Um, one is they need to have a good foundational knowledge so that they um, know what it's saying, can understand and verify what it's saying. Secondly, they need a well-developed intellect, so they need to be able to think about what it's what it's producing. And thirdly, they need really good academic integrity, that they're not trying to pass off work that's not their own or thinking that's not their own, but using it as a tool. Um, no. I think it's really harmful if it's seen as a shortcut. So if any students try and copy and paste a chat GPT answer... I think that's probably, if that's your skill level, then that's a bit scary because you're going to, be able to, have, to, you're going to have to do a lot more than that in the future when you're employed. Um, you, your employees are going to expect you to do a lot more than that. Um, I like ChatGPT's own warning. They say, ChatGPT may produce inaccurate information about people, places or facts. So as long as we bear that in mind, then I think we're OK. And one thing David said that really put it in place for me was he said that we need to teach students to use it as a research assistant, not a research supervisor.
1: Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, I like what you said about um, students kind of using it to prepare for class discussions. Do you think that this could even elevate those discussions even higher if, if students have used ChatGPT GPT ahead of time?
2: Absolutely. So if students can work out some of that foundational knowledge or some of the things that are out there, then they can come to class and together we can work out the myths and the facts and use it to um, get a lot further in those class discussions than we would have if they'd had to rely on quite dense text, which is hard to interpret.
1: Right. David, how are you looking at this technology?
3: Yeah, well, I'm basically looking at it from the lens that students need to be op- need to be able to operate in an AI-mediated world. So we really need to prepare students for that world and also to use the technology in education since it's being used in all other areas. And On the positives, you know, as Jenny said, ChatGPT, you know, can act as, and there's a good article by UNESCO on this uh, with some ideas from Mike Sharples where they say that ChatGPT can provide good feedback to students, it can provide personalized instruction, it can act as a Socratic opponent, you know, asking questions, Uh, it can act as a study buddy, it could provide questions to lead discussion in in groups. Uh, And all of these things in some ways, you know, could, if students were using them effectively and teachers were using them effectively, could increase students' agency in learning. I mean, they could be driving their own learning in some ways. The downside is the student, that students use it in a passive way. Mm. You know, they get it to produce work. Uh, and, you know, the big problem for teachers is what, what has been produced by the student and what's been produced by the student in collaboration with the tool. And this is something that I think is a complex issue because we really need to work out, comes back to learning outcomes, what do students need to be able to do without CHAT-GPT? And then what can they do with CHAT-GPT? And that's something that we really need to work on. So in some ways it could potentially increase students' agency and critical thinking, in other ways it could reduce their critical thinking. So I think it's up to teachers to design the learning so that it does the second thing, not the first thing.
1: And it sounds like this has really kind of shifted the goalposts a little bit when you're saying we need to figure out what students can do without chat GPT, which six months ago, for most of us, wasn't even a question, really. But now it's it's totally shifted That is that. Would you agree with that?
3: Well, I think, I mean, a, a, a concrete example of this is, you know, someone's using chat GPT to fly an airplane, you know, and then, you know, chat gpt or the technology breaks down they need to land the plane themselves Mm. you know so they need Mm. to be trained to fly the plane without chat gpt even although most of the time they might be using chat gpt but i mean if you put this into all sorts of other contexts you know it creates a bit of complexity trying to work out really what do they need to know because people say let them offload the routine tasks right gpt but what are the routine tasks you know which ones can they offload so It's not very clear, especially with the rapid development of AI tools, you know. Mm. So
1: So it's like understanding how to do the basic task in case the technology fails, which inevitably it will, but then also going to that higher level. Yeah,
3: I think we, we really need to focus on thinking processes, not products, because ChatGPT can help students produce the product. But we need to know the thinking processes that went into producing that product. And if they're using ChatGPT, it might be, you know how did they go through chat what questions did they ask of chat gpt i by the way i did this this morning i asked chat gpt to give me an example for today oh yeah in, in marketing in an area i don't know and i asked using my own theoretical model i asked a series of questions and it produced some remarkable outputs which i i will post on my website you can make a link a link to this discussion this uh, prompting by of chat gpt because it really showed that teachers could use ChatGPT to create lesson plans that would elevate students' that critical thinking.
1: Mm, okay. So the the we'll model sure. we'll talk about later. We'll be sure to link to that. Ginny, um, let's let's get into the, the real practical elements to this. Uh, as you guys will both be aware, there are different levels of teaching skills. Uh, people are more confident with this technology. Some people aren't. Tell us, really, give us a breakdown of some tips that people could walk away from this episode and apply in their classrooms right now of how to use ChatGPT in teaching.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think we need to make sure we do have some ChatGPT-free exercises, and they might need to be in the classroom where we're being very active with our students, get them to think, because they do need to build up those, those lower level thinking skills before they can come to the high or- higher order ones. And we can't always be sure that students are using their brains, um, uh, developing their thinking, um, if we're giving them lower order tasks that ChatGPT could do. But I think it's really useful for examples. And again, I was using this when I was preparing some teaching this morning, is that I asked it to give it some specific examples that I can use in my teaching, the same way students can ask it to give examples that they can use in their work, but also in their learning as well. Um, Another way we can actually learn from uh, ChatGPT is a polisher for text. So I think you can ask it to... let teach you to write better so you could put the same thing that you're doing into chat gpt and then ask them uh, then compare them ask some questions about which one's better what makes it better which one's more understandable um so you can use it to polish your text to see what you can learn from the chat gpt answer and to improve your own and vice versa what have you got on your own that doesn't isn't there in the chat gpt answer
1: In that example that you just used, if a student does put in an answer that they've written and ChatGPT gives them something that's a bit more polished, a bit more concise, could they then turn that in and maybe say this has been developed with the aid of ChatGPT being really transparent with that?
2: I think it's really difficult. It's really shades of gray now. Plagiarism used to be very clearly um, this was copied and this wasn't. And I would say for the another example to throw back at you, when we had um, Grammarly or if we had a, a spell checker and we used that on our text, does that mean that that's the spell checker's words or Grammarly's words and not our own? I think plagiarism has become a lot more shades of grey and we do need to rely a lot on our students' integrity, that they're not turning in ideas and, and explanations that are not their own.
1: So if it's kind of finessing writing, maybe it's OK In in. And... This is clearly another area where teachers need to establish those kind of buffers and be like, look, it's fine if you do this, but just tell me if you are or because if we're thinking about in real life, once students leave their education, this is something they'll be able to use all the time in their in their working life. Mm
2: Yes, but it's something we can learn from. So we want them to use it to learn how to write better themselves rather than having to rely on it, having to rely on that technology. Because this this um, way of using it very much follows uh, David's models around the... Students do something first, then they make a comparison, for example, to a chat GPT output, and then they, they, you, they're they using a set of instructions to make their their thoughts about that comparison explicit, and that's where the feedback comes out, which is your tried and tested method. It's just what we can apply it to now is chat GPT answers.
1: Okay. David, did you want to come in there?
3: Uh, I, I wanted to say, because I, this always slips into the discussion about You know what will we know what students have produced on their own or should they produce it with chat gpt or not and i think one of the the things i think is important is that we'll need to we maybe need to think about dividing not in a hard way what students do out of class they can use chat gpt to produce that because we have no control over what they're really using out of class when they come in class and basically out of class stuff should be about knowledge acquisition in class activities should be about developing critical thinking so students might we have more control over what's happening in tutorials and maybe we don't have lectures anymore we have more interactive classes and students do things in the class uh, regularly doing the kinds of things uh, jenny's saying and we you know get them to make comparisons and write down what they're learning from the comparisons and this becomes information process information about students learning that we could sample for summative assessment. So mm-hmm. some of those in-class activities could be used for summative assessment and mm-hmm. students could keep a portfolio uh, for summative assessment. Mm-hmm. And then we need to think about the exams, how we would deal with them if they're actually having exams. But there would be ways of doing this in the exam. And a, a colleague of mine did a two-stage exam where students did something individually and then they, comp- then they did the same work again with peers. Mm. And but in between that, what we did was they did something individually, and then they reflected on how well they had done it, and they wrote down some comments. Then they did the same work with peers, and then they compared what they learned from what they what they actually enacted while they were with their peers, and they wrote down about that. And the exam tested them, you know, involved all three components contributing to the final mark: their individual work, the reflections that they mm. generated during the exam. Uh, on the comparison processes and the group work that they had engaged in. Now, it would be very easy to insert a chat GPT text inside that and ask them to make a comparison against that as well, and it could become part of the exam. So it's really surfacing the processes of thinking. That's going to be really important in summative assessment, not the outputs. We really need to know how students are getting to the solution to the problem and they need to know it themselves. Mm -hmm. It needs to be visible to them so that that actually they see their own learning developing by making. So making it feedback explicit in this way, having students write their own comments is like making their thinking visible. I know you can't make all the thinking visible, but making some of it visible is a big step forward and will be re- reinforce the students' learning because they'll see their own feedback capability. And it helps teachers because it gives them more information about where students are really at and what they need to provide.
2: I think we also need to remember that there's a major skill in terms of the prompts and the questions that you put into ChatGPT to give it the answers that you want to. And that prompt refining is going to be a really important skill that our students will need in the future. And it's a skill that we can learn alongside them as lecturers. I'm really, really inspired by Paulo Freire's um, kind of dialogic um, teaching. And he says, uh, knowledge emerges only through invention and reinvention, through restless, impatient, continuing, hopeful inquiry human beings pursue in the world with the world and with each other and i think they can do that with chat gpt and really come along and there's no reason why we can't learn this alongside them it doesn't have to be always the teacher um telling the everyone being the authority we can actually learn alongside them in this dialogue way so i think it's a really nice way of applying that in the classroom
1: i was thinking about that when you guys were speaking i mean this is new for educators as well and they might even be a step behind where their students are in terms of using this technology. Do you guys have any um, reflections on your own kind of journey with this and how you guys have come to grips and how you've developed the prompts that you've learned to kind of get the best results that you could share with us?
2: It's been through restless, hopeful <laughs> inquiry. So it's just by playing with it, just the same way that our students are. And it's talking to each other. So I talk to the students about what prompts they put in. So that they clearly know that if they put my essay title into a chat GPT and give me the answer, that's not their work. But they can use, how they can use it to try and... Um, get that information that they need so it's talking to students it's talking to other educators seeing what they're using it's sharing prompts that work sharing different it's not just chat gpt you've got other um ai that you can use as well so you've got bar you've got chat sonic and the bing search for sex search bar so all of these different tools are out there and it's just talking to each other about what's working and what needs to change and what um and how that develops because it's as you say it's moving so rapidly and it will continue to do so
1: David, I want to go back to, I, I just quickly want to go back to, you were talking about feedback and assessment. I wonder if you have any other concrete tips or advice or applications that people listening to this could could apply in their teaching today?
3: Well, I think I need to really come back to the the best the essence of the model that we've been working with on feedback. And the essence of the model, is, as Jenny said, is the students do some work themselves individually, And then we give them some resource and they they use some information in a resource to make a comparison and generate feedback. So we might say to them, you've written this essay, Uh, look at these other essays, look at the way they've used evidence to support the argument. And can you think about ways you'd improve your own essay? So they're making a comparison and they write down, you know, I think I could do this and this. And then they have a discussion with their peers. So we, we like dialogue as well. So they wrap the dialogue around that. They have a discussion about their work, about the feedback they've generated about it. And then they make a request to the teacher. If there's something they still don't understand, they ask the teachers. All the teacher's comments are end-loaded in some way. Now, if you put ChatGPT into this mix, it becomes a, a resource that can create comparators, can create information for comparison. Now, this is very good because one of the issues with ChatGPT is the information is unreliable you know, it can be untrustworthy. So by asking students to look at that information, they could generate something with chat GPT, but they've got another resource, something from a textbook or something written by their supervisor or or in a journal article. So they can make a comparison so they can validate the information they're getting from chat GPT, identify strengths and weaknesses. And that part, identifying strengths and weaknesses in that is developing their critical thinking. So that's The first part, that comparison plays addresses an issue that's a complex issue in in using chat GPT. The second point is that students need to make the outputs of their comparisons explicit in some way, in writing or in discussion. Mm. Now, that makes the thinking process explicit. It helps to address the problem problem with chat GPT. We don't know what work has been done by the student and what work has been done by the, the machine. So you actually see some aspects of their own working. And then the third element is that they engage in discussion with peers. So we bring in the human thing and they amplify that the, the comparisons are making because discussing with peers and making comparisons against what their peers think and what their peers have produced. And that amplifies the whole process. So ChatGPT plays to this. It becomes something that produces resources. Its real value is that it can produce any kind of resource you want. I mean, today, I asked it to design a task for a marketing student uh, using comparison. I said, I want the student to produce something through one analytical marketing lens. And then I want, them, I want you to give them a comparator, a different analytical marketing lens that they can compare the work they've produced against and identify how these different lenses bring out different things about the marketing behavior. And it produced all of this. And then I said to it, can you produce the resource they would use as a comparator. And it produced that as well, (laughs) to my surprise. I mean, I need to talk to someone in marketing to see, you know, whether it's totally accurate. But but still, it could save teachers a lot of time. But that's Mm -hmm. the idea. You know, it's not about comparing work against other work to get good quality work. It's about using comparisons to develop critical thinking. And that's a different thing. So the students produce a practice example, they solve a series of problems. ChatGPT could create masses of problems for students to solve. The idea is if they solve lots of problems, they'll abstract the theoretical, the schema for problem solving. I would go about this in a different way. I'd get them to solve some problems. I would give them a set of concepts and say, which of these concepts do you think is driving the solution strategy? And when they do this, they're directly trying to relate the theory to the practice. When I did this with students, they said, this is fantastic. Normally we're taught the theory separately from the practice and they hope it we'll connect it. Now you're asking us to directly make a theory practice connection and write down how well the theory is being represented in the practice. Now, yes. ChatGPT just plays into all of this because it could create the examples, it could create the concept list, it could give you the concepts, some that were relevant, some that weren't. We could use it in all kinds of ways. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that students could use it themselves, you know, to generate uh, alternative examples to things they've done and make comparisons. So it's just it really, to me, it just almost was perfect that ChatGPT came out and just played to a model that's not widely used in higher education, because this model of feedback is not not diffuse everywhere. You know, it's people like Jenny and other people I'm working with across the world who are really on top of this. And as you said, one of the big issues is... I discovered in doing this is it's not selecting the comparators that's not such a problem it's actually formulating the instructions for the students mm. because mm. focus them on different things what you you know you can focus them on analysis you know making a synthesis involves a comparison making any kind of judgment informs like it involves a comparison but normally we're getting students to compare their work against criteria this is too limiting You know, because in professional practice, we're comparing against all sorts of things, not just criteria. So it really opens up everything. I probably made all of this a bit you know, gone into a complex area. No, it's
1: area. good. It's good. I'm, I, as a novice, non-educator, it's, I'm able to follow it. So I'm sure our listeners are as well. Jenny, it looked like you wanted to come in yeah, on that. Yeah, I think
2: it really frees us up in the classroom in many ways. It allows um, space for conversations and discussion and further, uh, further deeper learning. Because if students can research and find an easy way of um, asking questions and use it as a, a research assistant before class or even during class, uh, and generating these resources to compare their work to, we can actually see their intellectual development rather than necessarily their a- academic output. So I did an interesting study on some of the students' work and found that actually they showed higher levels of intellectual development on the Perry scale of intellectual development for their reflections, which was their writing down their feedback, than they could on the essay. So maybe we're testing the wrong things. Maybe by testing the outputs all the time, that can be be, could be now be completed by computer. Maybe we should be testing how students are thinking and how they're developing, rather than relying on um, tasks that can now be done by machines.
1: In this, this reflective phase that you mentioned, David, which I think was step two in, in the model that you were describing, is that, is that how, where the academic integrity bit is coming in? Is that where we're then asking students to tell us exactly what they've done and how they've done it?
3: Yeah, the integrity bit is that we're gaining more evidence of how students are thinking about things, uh, you know, and also we can gain evidence of how they're interacting with peers and what they're generating from that as well. And so how that, they
2: interact with chat GTP as well. That, what that help, you know, yeah. hmm. And hmm. that
3: helps address the academic integrity. It helps address it partially, but I think the other point I was making earlier is that, you know, we need to have, at some time we re, we need to, be invigilating what students do for summative assessment because we need to know what they're able to do uh, sure. you know, with and without chat GPT. Sometimes we, you know, we will be assessing what they can do with chat GPT and how they use chat GPT and the questions that they ask chat GPT. This will all be important and be part of the package. But then for me, the problem is something like writing. If they always use chat GPT to support their writing, and they can't write on their own, you take chat GPT away and they can't write. Is that a good thing? For me, writing helps me to develop my thinking. So we yeah. probably need to have them doing some writing as well and learning to write. But I think this is a, some people maybe in science might say, this is not necessary. You don't need to write a narrative in science in the same way. But this brings up another thing about different AI tools by the way, that that it's not just about comparing against narratives. Students can compare against diagrams, flowcharts. If they yeah. write an explanation of the digestive system, they could compare their work against a flowchart of the digestive system, and that brings the timeline into view. You know, if you want them to understand the timeline better, or against a simulation of the digestive system, and that brings the interaction of elements more into view. So each comparator brings a new lens on knowledge and that's why we want to vary the comparators because each comparator takes students in a different direction and the fact that chat gpt can create multiple comparators means that it's a fantastic opportunity teachers are really assisted in this in in getting chat gt to pre- create the comparators for students mm-hmm. uh, different genres different you know different technologies as well that can produce diagrams and flowcharts um, and
2: yeah. fork and even students creating them themselves. So when, as soon as they've got these questions to use, these inner feedback questions where they're writing down which is better and why, what can I learn from this, what can this learn from me, once they're starting to write those down, they can use that to say, right, let's have a, this in a different format or to ask Jack to be, to produce this text but with a different audience. So they need to use it to think. That's what's really important. We need to teach students to use ChatGP to think, to enhance their thinking, to save time on researching, to give them data in a, in a small chunk, and easy-to-understand way, not overly complex it simplifies things they can still check that and they still need to talk about it and they still need to sense check it but if they're engaging with chat gpt in a really active way and if others teachers can learn alongside them to how to use it in an active way then it's it really is quite a gift for students and educators alike
3: i was just going to say and i found that students when we've been doing this with students that after they've gone through this experience of making comparisons and generating their own ideas and their own feedback, they found it empowering. And then they do it themselves. I've mm-hmm. found economics students, when I ask them in interviews, they say, oh yes, I've been using that method now myself. So I That's think that it's kind of empowering.
1: Okay, so it's it's a gift, it's empowering students, the possibilities are endless. It can all be wonderful though. Let's talk about some of the pitfalls. What do people really need to, to look out for uh, as they're exploring this technology and they're teaching, David?
3: I think the point I raised before that we need to really look at our rubrics you know what what, the assessment criteria that we're setting we need to up the game a bit we need to really since students can produce generate a lot of the the mundane knowledge using the mundane knowledge the basic knowledge using chat GPT we really need to be now focusing on critical thinking now critical thinking is not People say they're focusing on critical thinking, but if you ask anyone to define what critical thinking is, they have quite a hard job defining it. I mean, I know that people use Bloom's taxonomy analysis evaluation and so on, but we need to be crystal clear about what we're actually, what the learning outcomes are really, we're really targeting. And then we need to be clear about what they can do with and without chat GPT. These are two elements of, of, of this that really need to be focused
1: on. So tightening up rubrics and and maybe even ripping it all up and starting again.
3: Yeah, in some ways, rubrics are, you know, to me they're a bit one dimensional because rubrics. We don't use rubrics in employment employment settings. They're kind of a nice thing in university, but but it's not just about using exemplars either, because that's where people go with exemplars. But most of the work in higher education on exemplars involves people comparing their work against an exemplar. And they don't. people don't use instructions in the way I talked about earlier, saying it's not the exemplar, it's something in the exemplar that's important. So you can't say to a student, compare your thesis against this thesis. It's too big a task. You might say, compare the way you've structured your thesis with the structure of that thesis, or compare the way that you've created the research questions in your thesis against those research questions. So you need to, to move it down to targeting What Mm. is critical thinking? We need to understand better what this is. It's about taking different perspectives and also metacognitive thinking, getting students to think about their thinking, which is what this inner feedback process is about. It's about making evident the thinking process. And I think Mm. we need to do a lot more of that.
1: Mm.
3: The outputs now are, are, we don't know where the outputs are coming from. So we need to know how they're getting there.
1: Jenny, anything you would add to that
2: in terms of pitfalls that people need to look out for? Yeah, I think we need to be careful not to be afraid of change and we need to really embrace change. It is quite scary and it is a big it is a big change. It's really shifted things in terms of being able to rely on what student's telling us and not necessarily knowing whether that's their thoughts and ideas and phrasings and explanations or it should be produced by a computer. But you look how the calculator and Google and Grammarly, they haven't destroyed education, they've just modified it. So I think we can yeah. look to those kind of tools and try and treat this in a similar kind of way, not to be afraid of it. I feel like this is
1: a conversation we wouldn't have had a year ago, much less six months ago. So that just really shows, and we've, we've mentioned this a couple times, just the, the rate of development with this types of technology. So Jenny, just final question for you. How can people stay agile if they feel like they're just catching up with how to write a good prompt for ChatGPT and then something else comes out that they've also got to wrap their head around?
2: Yeah, I think keeping close to your students is really important. Talk to them about how they approach their work, what the challenges they're facing. Keep supporting them because it's quite difficult for a student who might be used to, as I do, is thinking as they are writing. Suddenly they see this tool that can write for them, but it can't actually think for them. So they need some support in developing these skills, um, especially if they're trying to rely on ChatGPT too much and not learning how to think about and using it in an active way. I think keeping talking to other educators is really important. I heard a, a really good idea that, um, that students who submitted work that didn't have certain papers or certain focus to them should fail them. So rather than just tell, in the past where you've asked you just, just tell me about a subject or explain your thoughts on or recommendations over this, actually be really specific in your uh, briefings that you're actually looking for something very specific. And if that specific thing is not in the in the assessment, then that's a fail, even if it's a really good answer, just to make sure that students are engaged and being active. So I think talking to other educators to get ideas about assessment briefings and prompts and how they're using it and how it can be used is really important. And the third thing is keeping talking to industry. So um, a lot of my students are going to go move into accountancy. So I, I need to be on the ball with what the professions are using and how accountants are using it. Um, you've got to think about what skills that your students are, your students future employers are looking for and then help them develop those skills so they can be successful and, and have that lifelong flourishing, which is what we're all about for our students.
1: Can I just ask you on the, the conversations that you're having with employers? Do you feel that they are a step ahead of higher education in how they're thinking about this and how they want students to use this or their graduates or employees or whatever to, to use this and apply it to the tasks at hand or is everyone kind of on the same level right now with it?
2: It varies across my different contacts. So some of them are, haven't really used it yet at all, not really aware of it. Um, others um, do use it quite a lot in maybe day-to-day professional e- uh, communications and emails. But in the business world, it's quite difficult at the moment to get chat GPT to produce a report. So it might produce a few paragraphs, but it can't lay out a nice glossy report, which is a lot of the um, skills that our students need and that employers are looking for. Our employers are also looking for a lot of um, verbal and communication skills and being able to explain ideas and build rapport with clients and understand what they're saying. And um, a lot of those skills aren't, aren't chat GPT skills at all. And I think we need to remember that, that... What our employers are looking for and what our students need to develop isn't just written those written essay skills sure. that ChatGPT sure. can do.
1: David, uh, any final tips for you on how people can remain agile in their response to these um, rapidly advancing technologies?
3: Yeah, I'd I'd like to just build on what uh, Jenny said really about this idea of uh, thinking about where students are going to go, you know, in, into employment and what kinds of environments they will be in. Uh, And I think this brought me back, something we haven't talked about to more authentic assessments. You know, something that is quite a lot talked about. I mean, a lot of the, so getting students to produce different kinds of outputs in assessment, you know, uh, presentations, videos, uh, diagrams, other things, because they need to be able to integrate all of these things in in employment settings. And also, you you know, uh, the use of chat GPT within all of that. So I think in some ways, looking at where things are going in the in the employment sector and how it's being used in banking and other areas will should feed back into how we design our courses in higher education so that we're we're actually not just keeping up but maybe staying ahead of, of that you know and, and actually being more inventive uh, than what's out there currently because as academics we should be ahead of the research in this area
1: Wonderful. Um, David and Jenny, this has been thrilling to have you both on at the same time. Thank you so much for giving us your time today. It's been really fascinating speaking with you. Thank you so much.
3: Thank you very much.
1: <laughs> so, that's not the first time I've heard educators compare ChatGPT to calculators or spell check. And I do wonder where we'll land with that level of comfort that we have just with ChatGPT in our everyday lives and if it will ever become as ubiquitous as the common calculator or predicted text in our text messages.
0: Yeah, it is really hard to know. At the moment, there's a a bit of trepidation, but there is also a sense that it's very much a tool.
1: Um, I also liked how they talked about needing to assess the skills that students can do without ChatGPT. The example that David used was, pilots need to still know how to land a plane, even though they can use ChatGPT to fly the plane and land the plane, if for whatever reason they need to land it, they need to know how to land it. But I do think it's quite exciting to think about um, what other skills we will be able to, to develop whenever we, I guess, offload some of the tasks that we're doing now that we can just hand over to ChatGPT.
0: Yeah, that's right. I mean, the idea of being able to leave a machine to write uh, even a paragraph would have been unthinkable before ChatGPT, and now, um, and now we're in the place that we're at.
1: Uh, well, let's turn our searchlights to another corner of the academic landscape that is set to be revolutionised by generative AI. Eliza, tell us who our next guide is.
0: Our next guide is a research assistant and advocate for diversity in education with lived experience. Brooke Such has two roles at the University of Queensland. One is in the School of Law and the other is in the Business School. Brooke has autism and she uses ChatGPT to help her in her writing process. She's written an excellent resource for campus about this and she's got loads of great tips and insights into how she uses it. So, hi, Brooke. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's a real pleasure. Um, I'd like to start, first of all, by asking you to tell us a bit about yourself and your work.
4: Yes, I'm a recent graduate from the University of Queensland. I'm currently working at the university in two roles as a research assistant, one in the School of Law on a project about uh, more inclusive employment for people with disabilities within the higher education sector, specifically looking at leadership. And my other role is in the business school looking at neurodiverse employment and specifically employment services. Um, So I'm very involved in that kind of disability space and I myself have a disability. Um, So I'm really enjoying uh, researching here and getting getting opportunities like this.
0: You're certainly very busy and as you know we're here today to talk about your, uh, your work and your academic writing, specifically your use of ChatGPT. You've written a resource for campus all about that. I wanted to ask you first of all, why and how did you start using ChatGPT for this purpose?
4: Yeah, well, that's where disability is really relevant to this. Um, And I actually wrote that resource originally as a neurodiversity focused area before I realized it was more broad. But um, I have autism and part of that is that I have some struggles with language processing and understanding things like vague instructions and so on. And what that kind of means for me is that I'm often needing a bit more feedback from my supervisors and am I doing this right? Is this what you asked for? Um, Is this what the journal requirements are asking for? And things like that. And I was aware that I was always kind of turning to Uh, my supervisors or, you know, my peers who are more more experienced than I am for all sorts of things like this. And when ChatGPT was released, I immediately saw the potential for that to support me and take that off my supervisors and so on.
0: That's a slightly different take from the usual response that we get to ChatGPT, which is something that is maybe to be regarded with a little suspicion um, regarding the the way that it might encroach on the academic space but that's obviously not your experience. You described it I think in your article about using it like a conversation partner even.
4: Absolutely um, and again that goes back to me kind of not replacing the supervisor, but not taking up so much time of my, you know, management team and so on who are so busy to do these smaller tasks, these slight clarifications and these slight checks. Um, So I definitely haven't been using it for, um, you know, to generate my work for me, but just to assist me in the
0: process. So you use it more as a, a tool rather than a, um, a replacement for, for your own writing skills.
4: Yeah, and that's why I named the article exactly that, enhancing not replacing, because that's very much how I, I see that. Um, and I'm very focused on the speeding up the process. And, you know, I used to have to spend a while waiting for emails to come back and so on. Um, since ChatGPT has come out, um, that process has been a lot better.
0: That's a really positive response. Can you tell us a bit about how that actually works in a practical sense?
4: Absolutely. So um, I think what you said earlier really touches on that. It's a conversation partner. I use it very much to tease the ideas out or to give myself direction. Um, I haven't used it to actually start an article. Um, You know, I've always had those ideas and themes from myself or someone else within the team. Mm -hmm. Um, That's something that I think we can do, but... Um, definitely Mm -hmm. just in the sense of um, oh, this journal instruction isn't very clear like could you reword that for me or something like that that's something that chat gpt does really well Mm -hmm. Um, and I very much use it as a actually may I may you say the question again sorry
0: that's okay I wanted to know I wanted to get a sense of exactly how you would use it so For example, if you're wanting it to extract a key idea from a paragraph, how would you go about formulating your prompts, for example?
4: Yes, so that's something that I struggled with um, a bit at the beginning, which is another reason I wrote the article to kind of um, share some of those findings. But I find that you have to be very specific about what you want and sometimes to even ask the question more than once. Um, Mm -hmm. A good example would be if I'm checking Um, I might be checking, is this a good introduction? Is it very clear? Or someone I might put in my introduction and ask, you know, does this cover everything? Um, And it'll say, yes, it covers this, 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 and this. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I might be, well, is it missing anything? And it'll say, oh, yeah, it's missing this. Mm -hmm. Um, So it is very much a process of asking it the right questions and making sure that you're actually engaging with the outputs and then asking further questions.
0: Mm -hmm. of
4: course there are ways to do that in the you know the original question like can you tell me if there's any deficiencies or any strengths in this area or in this piece of text I'm going to send you um but I often find that the questions come naturally as you engage with the text and that's really important that you actually take the time to read and process what it's giving you
0: that sounds like very good advice is there anything that you need to be careful with when you're when you're using this tool?
4: Well, of course, the natural one is the uh, the fact that it only has information valid up to twenty twenty one, and it in no way actually claims to give you factual information. Because the fact is is that this is a language processing model; mm-hmm. it is not necessarily a search engine or so on. And I think. I really think it's much better instead of asking it, Oh, what do you know about, you know, Brooke Such Mm
2: -hmm. or anything
4: like that? um, It's much better to put in the information that you have and then ask it to respond to that. Mm -hmm. Um, For example, I got it to write a short bio for for me by putting in, I put the text of a few different articles about me Mm -hmm. and then I've said, could you make me a free sentence bio from this information about Brooke Such? And it was able to do that pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like that sort of thing is really, really important. Uh, I heard in America there was a law case where the lawyers used ChatGPT to write their argument, and they didn't, they didn't check the validity of those sources, and they turned out to not exist. Ah. Um, and that's a very common pitfall with this one,
0: uh, which yeah. is why
4: I mentioned Research Rabbit and other AI that will help with the research part.
0: So perhaps then in the future we'll be looking at using a suite of AI tools rather than getting concerned about one particular uh, one, which is seems to be how the conversation is at the moment.
4: I think so. They all have their different strengths. made for and again chat gpt is a language processor so it is good for can you make this paragraph more concise um how's my grammar um I'm trying a a really common one is you know at the end of the day you're out of energy you're a bit you're a bit over it and I'll be like I'm trying to say that people like this because it's fun can you make that sound a bit more academic (laughs) like can you help me tease out what I'm trying to say, help me articulate what I'm trying to say. Um, so that's a really good use
0: for it. Ah, that that um, brings up an interesting question. How good is it at reproducing academic language? I
4: would say it's quite good. Um, I'd say it's even too good sometimes because sometimes it gives me back something and I'm like, oh, the higher echelons of society, that's a bit much. <laughs> um, but... It like I would I would say it's quite good. I'd say about ninety percent or so of what it gives back to me in those situations, I'll accept. But again, the really important thing is to go back and read it and check that that's appropriate language. That's what you would use. Um, so in the case where it gave me the higher echelons of society, mm. I have um, changed that because that was just not really what I was going for. Sometimes it's just a bit too stuffy, but very much, um, there are ways to actually train the AI to write in your style.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, I haven't done that because I I like to write my own, but mm-hmm. I know you can put in. Can you make that sound more like me and things like that um, by oh. putting in samples of your writing?
0: Yeah. And how much? How many samples would you have to put in for it to? I,
4: I would say pa- a couple of paragraphs would do. Um, I've tried it for emails actually. Um, because I have a tendency to um be very short and blunt on emails. People say, looking forward to seeing you tomorrow. And I'll say, Great, see you tomorrow. (laughs) And I I was I was experimenting with it to see if it could make my emails a bit more, you know, nice, but still sound like me. Um Mm -hmm. so I put in just a few of my emails where I'd really put in some effort to be fluffy. Um and it did a pretty good job with just two emails. Um, you know, just two paragraphs essentially. Um mm. and again, that's what it's for. It processes that language and then it takes that out. So I think I think it is quite good at that. My my biggest thing that I have with the actual language processing is sometimes the words that chooses change the nuance of what you're trying to say. Mm-hmm. Um so that's something that I'm really aware of when I'm checking, um, checking the process text.
0: Mm. So with the process text, how would you incorporate that into your own writing?
4: Again, it depends on what exactly I'm using it for. So um, a good one was for the particular article we're talking about. Um, I just was struggling to get it into the, the word limit. I was being a bit wordy and It was very much, I've processed it, put it through and just said, can you make this a maximum of 850 words, which I believe is the limit. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just cut some superfluous words or it's used, you know, compound words instead of two and so on. And um, I've gone through and then I've checked it and I've made some edits because like I said, it was a bit stuffy. It's a bit too academic. Mm -hmm. Um, And I... I then kind of after I'd checked that manually, changed a few words, I put a few things back in, it wanted to cut the thing out about my dean. And I was like, no, you, you need to know my dean really likes Research Rabbit. Um, but um, then when I was happy with it as you know the human reader, that's when I've submitted it.
0: You write over a few different areas, don't you? Business and and law. Do you find that it's more useful for one or the other?
4: No, I wouldn't say so because, again, that's the strength of ChatGPT, you say, I'm writing for this. You can even name the journal or mm-hmm. you can even put in um, the journal requirements or the instructions for authors. You can copy-paste that into the program and say, I'm writing for this journal and go from there. Um, I'm, I'm just naturally a bit more familiar with the social sciences. I'm a, I'm a graduate from the School of Languages and Cultures, so I often use the APA 7 system and so on, so I naturally feel that's a bit more strong. Mm-hmm. I haven't used it so much for law and so on because that's definitely where I don't know too much about, for example, their referencing system and so on,
2: mm-hmm. that
4: I, I do want a human to confirm that for me. Mm-hmm. Um, But if I can put in, you know, if you're using APA 7 all the time and then you're changing to the Harvard or something, um, you can use that sort of thing to change it over. And then you can check that or you can get it to explain it to you as well. Um, I really like that feature. Um, You can ask it to explain it to you as a beginner in simple terms or, um, you know, you can ask if your understanding is correct and then it will confirm or, or deny that.
0: That really is getting back to that idea um, of a conversation partner, isn't it? You um, mentioned about uh, formats and things, referencing standards and, and the like. Has the AI tool made the submission process any easier uh, for you? So that's a bit of a leading question. Has it, has it changed the submission process for you?
4: Um, I would say it's made things a lot smoother because when I'm asking the AI for feedback, it's picking up a lot of things that normally don't get picked up until it gets peer review because I'm sure everyone knows that feeling of, you know, your team's been working so closely with the text that there gets to be a point where you can't objectively look at it anymore and, you know, you know these facts so strongly and you just self-insert and you don't realize that you haven't actually explicitly said that or that um, this piece is missing or even that your wording is a bit mysterious. Um, so I find that having, having AI check through um, really helps just to smooth that process because we've had a lot less comments on bigger things. You know, it's, oh, it's, you haven't really articulated your argument. Oh, you haven't really put in the structure of the article here or you know, really think things like that. Or you mentioned the theory here, but you don't connect it well enough in the discussion or something like that. And that's the sort of feedback that ChatGPT does really well. And I want to make a disclaimer there. It's always take out your sensitive information um, when you do that, because you don't know where that information is going. So don't put your actual research figures and things into there. So ChatGPT always goes, it'd be really good if you used examples. And I'm like, yes, I know, I, I have examples, but you, you don't get them.
0: <laughs> Brooke, I think that's a really fantastic tip. It sounds like you're using it as another layer of, of editing, so perhaps it should be people like me who should be more concerned about this technology than, than the academics. I wanted to ask you too, has it helped you with places to submit um, papers.
4: Yeah, absolutely, um, especially, like I said, I come from a Bachelor of Arts background in the humanities, so now I'm looking at a lot more, you know, a lot more in the space of higher education, law, business, employment, management, all of that kind of thing. So there's a really broad range of journals that potentially would be useful for what we're publishing And, of course, I haven't naturally come across those in my studies, and I'm only starting to be exposed to them now in work. Um, I'd say this particular tip is more useful for people at the very beginning, but I don't see why you can't use it to explore new journal options if you keep submitting to the same journal. Mm -hmm. Um, But Um, again I keep going back to that conversation partner I'll just go to the article you know um, to the article but the AI and I'll say I'm writing an article about this in the Australian context I'm using interviews and online surveys as my corpus and very much just kind of we're looking for higher education management for example to Mm -hmm. to read this and I'll, be, I'll just say, can you suggest some some journals for this? Mm-hmm. And it'll normally give me a list of three or four journals that it thinks I should check out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll just go and have a look at them. And sometimes it's what I was expecting and sometimes it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been good for me to find some new journals. Um, I always ask that it gives me a Q1 journal. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have to check that because, again, the information isn't updated on ChatGPT from
0: 2021. Ah, yes, of course.
4: Yes, so I always manually check that, but it, I, have, I haven't I actually had a problem with that. Um, and then sometimes I've gone, oh, actually, I really thought, you know, this particular journal would be good for it and it hasn't come up on the list. And you can just ask, oh, you've listed these journals, but what about this other journal I have in mind? Um, and then it'll explain to you. Oh, yeah, actually, that's a good. That's a good choice. That would I wouldn't say that's the best journal for this, but it is good for this, this, and this. Or no, actually, they have a bit more of a focus on policy rather than the day-to-day running of the university or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, the strength of ChatGPT really is the feedback that it gives and the explanations that it gives. That's what I find really helpful.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you have any concerns about uh, inherent bias in the in the AI?
4: You know, that's interesting because I've heard a lot about it, but I've actually been pretty impressed by some of the things that it's said in the disability space. It's, it's given a lot of disclaimers. It said, you know, oh, you know, this has this wording, but actually you should be more careful, you should look that up before you use that. Or so on, um, but I haven't personally had a lot. Um, I've had to learn to put in the Australian context mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot yes. because it would always give me American um, journals. Again, that's why you don't you don't rely on it. It's very much uh, it's it's a check sort of tool.
0: Brooke, I think that uh, I think that's a great uh, place to to finish. I wanna thank you again so much for your time today. And it's been a real pleasure talking to you about this.
4: Oh, thank you. I really appreciated the invite to come on today.
1: Eliza, I don't know if you realize, but we've managed to do something very clever here, which is talk about the use of ChatGPT in getting students to do their own inner feedback followed by a live example of Brooke doing that very thing with getting immediate feedback that she says she needs on her research. Well done.
0: Well, I think all the credit goes to Brooke for using this tool in new and useful ways. I was really uh, inspired. There's so much trepidation and suspicion around this, this new technology, and she's really taken it and is using it to enhance not just her writing, and I say enhance, not create, but also doing things like making her emails a bit fluffier.
1: Mm, some really great examples coming in there from Brooke. Uh, thank you to Brooke for joining us, as well as to Jenny and David, and thank you all for joining us as we endeavored to uncover some of the most innovative uses of generative AI in higher education today. Uh, I have a feeling we've only scratched the surface of this, though, and this technology's potential. So. We'll be exploring uncharted territory again soon with even more expert explorers. And if you think you're one of them and would like to tell us how you're using AI in your academic work, get in touch. Sarah.Custer at Until then, be well and we'll see you next time. You're listening to a Times Higher Education podcast.